Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 67 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that simply everything, and I mean absolutely everything, really, really everything, has its own history, like lions, pylons, or earthquakes. But a fascinating history of earthquakes. Or, for me, the flea, the bee, and the city. Did you like like what I did there? Mm. Or, the farmer, the llama, and <laughs> Stop. the charmer. Stop it. I think we should definitely do something on the history of charm. I'm amazing. Not like charms, but to be charming. Yeah. Prince Charming. Okay. It's all about fairy tales. And we're following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of the list, the history of the list is all about contemplation, Henrician politics, and the Royal Navy. Or that the history of the bubble is about childhood innocence, US advertising and the invention of BO, mm-hmm. and... Ornamental hermits. Is it? It's about yes. fun as well. Straight up fun. The bubble is about fun. The man sitting opposite me is the plumber of yesterday's <laughs> toilet. It's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at <laughs> Plymouth University. It's Professor James Davil. Hello, James. <laughs> Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the curate of curiosity. Hmm. It's the famous historical adventure of the truly wonderful... Dr. Sam Willis, who's sitting here with a bobble hat on at the moment because it's it's quite cold, isn't it, in your shed? It's a little cold in my shed and I, I, I like to have my head encased in things. Yes. We do the history of the hat. We need to do... Oh, I so want to do the, well, the history, history of the, of the bobble. That would be cool. The history of the bobble, the history of the toggle. The bobble, the toggle and the woggle. Yes. Mm. But I think we should definitely do the history of the hat. Uh, should we make a list of that? Should we put that on our... List to record in the new year. The yes, let's hat. do that. History of hats are coming. So send us some, um, hit us up on Twitter with some ideas for the history of hats. Um, anyway, we each sort of week, one of us takes the lead. Um, and James is wriggling around with excitement <laughs> because he's, I've finally decided to let him do the history of paper. I have had a <laughs> fetish for historical paper for so long. As, a, as somebody who has um, worked on the history of letters for about 25 years. Uh, I know a thing or two about paper. Um, and this, my, but my real interest in paper came about when I wrote my, one of my last big books, uh, The Material Letter in Early Modern England. And I spent a whole summer in what was Devon, Devon Record Office, yep. just learning how paper worked, learning how it was made, learning how it sort of felt learning how to actually read it, learning about chain lines and watermarks and... I'm going to stop you there. What do you mean by read paper? You don't mean read what's on it. I don't mean read what's on it. I mean to actually look at it as a physical... as a kind of physical object in itself. Though paper, for much of the the period that I study, um, the sort of pre-1800s, paper is basically laid paper. Okay, and it's made out of rags that are sort of boiled up into a into a pulp, and then they are put, they are laid into 
a wooden box. You say a rags. Rags. So it's made out of yeah, old clothes and rags. Mm. Um, and they are. It's all pulped up, and it's put um, into a, a wooden box or a wooden frame. And across that wooden frame are little wires or chains, mm-hmm. and they're about eighteen millimeters to about thirty millimeters apart. Um, and and it sticks to that. And then you also have a a shape of a watermark, mm. which is the signature of the paper maker. Yeah. Um, you make one... I mean, or, it must be all different crests and things. All sorts of different crests, and we'll talk about watermarks later on. I mean, they are incredibly interesting. But this is the sort of basic mechanics of making sheet by sheet... You think about how paper is is sort of mass produced now. But you're talking particularly about linen paper, aren't you? I'm you're making pa- about... paper made out of clothes because I I have experience of being paper being made out of organic material. Yes, this is paper being made paper made out of rags, so it's yeah. got a particularly distinct um, touch. Well, it was to what it. they used for banknotes, or used is just yep. changed. You know, we yep. have these horrible plastic things which I yep. loathe now, but it used to be made of banknotes. So if we, you know what we're talking about, imagine. Imagine an old five-pound note and how kind of soft they felt when they were. But imagine worked. if you go into if you go into a pucker paper shop now mm. and you look and you see handmade paper. It's that it's that kind of it's that kind of uh, fibrous feel. Um, a paper comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, but the standard sort of size is probably the equivalent to about A3 mm-hmm. nowadays. So you know, double double A twice the size of A4, which is a sort of folio. That's the basic sheet. And then it would be cut down. But what's interesting about it is you can tell an awful lot about the paper just from feeling it, looking at the quality, looking at the... If you put it on a light box, so a light box is basically like a big desk with a light underneath it, and you put a manuscript on it, you shine the light through it, and then you can see all the sort of grains of the paper, you can see the chain lines, you can see the... um, you can see the watermarks, and that allows you to effectively fingerprint that paper. Nice. It, it's it's they are un- Every piece of paper is unique, yeah. and it can be dated. And this has wide application for all sorts of studies. If you want to date a historical document, you can often do it by by paper uh, analysis. But if you are interested, I've brought you a few little. Books here. If you're interested in the history of paper, you should have on your desk or on your shelves Dard Hunter's Paper Making, the history and technique of an ancient craft, which will tell you everything about it. Another Dard is an another name. Well, hello, Dard. Are you still around? Dard Hunter. So he's got a bit of a poem at the front here. Author unknown. Rags make paper, paper makes money, money makes banks, banks make loans, loans make beggars, and beggars make rags. That's brilliant. So it's all circular. It's all circular. <laughs> the, the other Bible that I think you should all buy is Peter Beale. Peter, Beale's, uh, Peter Beale used to be the manuscript expert at Sotheby's. What he doesn't know about manuscripts of all ages uh, is not worth knowing. He produced a few years ago this wonderful book called A Dictionary of English Manuscript Terminology, 1450 to 2000. And I just wanted to read you what he says about paper, because I think this is one of the most succinct um, sort of little entries on the history of paper. Paper, which was invented in China probably in the second century BC, has been the principal material used as a writing surface since late medieval times. It was introduced to Europeans by the Arabs at least by the 9th century AD 
when the earliest Greek manuscripts on paper were produced. The first manufacture of paper in Europe was apparently undertaken by the Moors in Spain by the late 11th century, although the earliest surviving example of European paper currently recorded is a Sicilian deed dated 1109. The use of paper gradually spread across Europe, especially after the invention of printing in the 1450s, not least because of its relative cheapness compared to parchment, which is made out of animal skins. Paper was used in England at least by the early 14th century and paper mills were established there by 1498. Although until the 18th century, most paper in Britain was imported from France or Italy, which is really important. Paper at the time was made by hand, principally from rags, originally of wool, cotton or linen. These were reduced to a pulp with water and size and a measure of the pulp was scooped into a rectangular wooden tray or frame known as a mould which was then gently shaken to make the fibres fuse together to produce a sheet of paper. Each frame was of a size that a single man could carry and was strung with wires or bore an inserted screen of wires which produced chain lines, wire marks and watermarks in the paper. Paper thus manufactured is known as laid paper. By the mid-18th century, a new process of paper manufacture was invented, producing a smooth paper made on a fine mesh of wires woven together. This type of paper, which predominated from 1800s onwards, is known as woven paper. As the process of manufacture became more mechanised, so did the demand for paper caused by the increased production of printed books, led to the use of more plentiful and cheaper organic and fibrous materials which is what you were saying. These included most notably wood pulp, which was first patented in Germany in 1843. The processing of wood, however, introduced a higher level of acidity into paper, with the result that before the development of modern acid-free paper, many books of the mid-19th century onwards have turned brown and been apt to crumble away, having a very much shorter life expectancy than the handmade papers of earlier centuries. There. Chapter and verse. That's on... brilliant. That tells you all about it. I like this one, this papermaking book, where it's got he. Um, there's a list of just all the extraordinary topics involved. So early papermaking processes. He does the Chinese origins of papermaking, the paper papermakers of Europe, ancient watermarks, later day watermarks, more papermaking materials, the paper machine and its inventor, printing revolutionises papermaking, watermarking, and so on. Out of all of this stuff, I think the the, the watermarks one of the most interesting. So anyway, when I did my Silk Road program for the yep. BBC, I, I got to go to a papermaking factory. Oh, tell us about it's that! Amazing. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know you'd been to a papermaking factory. Mm, you should see it's episode one of my three part episode, The Silk Road. Mm. Um, uh, I should have known that. Mm, I forget where I it is now. Somewhere in the east. Near Chengdu, hmm. I think. Hmm. So that's not in the east. It's it's kind of the, it's the midlands of China. Yeah. Um, and I have that massive piece of paper in my sitting room with my name. Mm, I've seen that. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, and they, they, they gave that to me. So same place. So they made these huge sheets of paper and then they did the, the calligraphy on it. And there was a chap there who was he. So this is paper made out of organic material. Yeah. And they they stripped off um, the, uh, the the bits of the grasses or the kind of the bark. Um, that was required, and they 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 kind of massaged it or trod on it in a kind of treadmill, a treading machine. They took their shoes off, so it was all done with bare feet, um, and then uh, they they soaked it for a bit. And they had this amazing um, sort of bamboo frame, and by then the the papers all it's, it's all it's 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 almost dissolved mm. in water, and then they put this mm. frame in and lift it out, and it magically appears into mm. a sheet of paper, and then it dries. I thought it was a wonderful experience, and they were um, doing a demonstration of 
pasting paper onto walls. Um, and I think this is it really opens up the whole window of the history of paper because you, you don't just use paper to write on. No. And I think that's no, no, what no. we're going to be talking about mostly. And if there's one thing you remember from this podcast on the history of paper is that it's not just about paper that no. you write on. And I think that's no. actually changing more now because we do most of our writing on phones, on iPads, or whatever, on, on computers, which means the role of paper in 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 entertainment, in decoration, in art, wrapping is becoming significantly larger in our lives than it used to be. And I think yeah. I think our relationship with paper is, is very much changing. There you go. Excellent. Mm. What's next? What's next? All sorts of things. Where do you want to go next? I mean, I think well, let's let's talk about paper as a technology. Okay. Just in general, just in general terms, you know, how do we start thinking about how we think about paper? You've already mentioned a range of sort of uses for paper, a lot of which is connected to writing. Um, and printing, yep. and suddenly you can take you can take us into a world of historical documents. Yeah, um, you know a lot of the documents that survive, uh, certainly since the medieval period, are all on paper. You know that brings us into the, the the realm of the archive and the record office and the library and the need to conserve. It also brings us into sort of thinking about you know what are those records that survive? You know what what has paper facilitated? Yeah. It's thinking about notebooks and letters and diaries, sort of personal forms, but also those sort of forms that are connected to government and business, mercantile trade, the church, all those sort of areas that suddenly, you know, paper facilitated certain kinds of tasks. Yeah. Paper linked to literacy, you yeah. know, and if we think about the production of books, suddenly you're you know, the world of knowledge and ideas and revolution and paper suddenly becomes this incredibly important, yeah. you know, technology that facilitates all sorts of things. And the history of, of thinness is an important part of that, isn't it? So if you think about what people were writing on before, you had paper. Yeah. So you're writing on slate, you were writing in sand, you were doing clay. All, sort of clay, all sorts of wonderful things. Um, parchment. On parchment as well. Parchment, but you can't, um, you can't have a book of clay tablets really it doesn't, no. it doesn't work no. it simply doesn't work but you no. can have a book of 100 pieces of paper yeah, and so that exactly. paper helps us record knowledge it helps us uh, share our knowledge yeah. it helps our knowledge grow yeah. well, paper is fundamental to well the understanding of history but also science the understanding of the world to communication yeah. and you know if you think about also the accessibility and the cheapness of paper and also envelopes we should talk about envelopes yeah. you know in the same way that the email revolutionized the way that people can communicate so so did cheap paper the thing is that paper throughout its history, has actually, for much of it, been relatively expensive. You know, to buy a, a choir of paper. A what of paper? choir of paper. A choir is 25 sheets. That's cool. How do you spell that? Uh, Q-U-I-R-E. Hmm. Choir. And you'd buy it in a... You'd buy, you'd buy choirs in a ream. And a ream of paper was 20 choirs. Wow. Which would give you about 500 sheets. But to buy paper in any kind of commodity was actually quite expensive. And throughout the sort of 16th and 17th century, you think about your average labourer, and your average labourer, you know, earns pence yeah. a week. Um, so it's not a, it's not particularly a democratic form. So the kinds of people who you find their paper lives, paper materials left for, tend to be people who are, you know, much more, much more wealthy. But by yeah. the 18th century, paper, and certainly into the 19th century, paper is reducing in price. Um, and you know, people are able to access it, have little notebooks, all those, all all sorts of things. Yeah. So there are loads of people. There's basically a huge gap out there in history for those people who didn't have access to paper. Yeah. 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 And so, what did people write on instead? 
Um, I don't know the answer to that. Walls. Walls. That's what we've done graffiti, Pots. haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they communicated in, in in different ways. And it's not just communication. It's it's you know, sort of putting your name to something, establishing yeah. an identity, almost sort of saying I was here or I wasn't here, which I think is always yeah. always thought is wonderful. Yeah. I'm particularly interested in toys. Mm. Paper, toys. paper toys. So I'll talk about the different uses of paper. And uh, mm. when I was in China, there was a, there was a lot of discussion. Um, people I spoke to about paper about origami, and mm. the history. But it, it's not just the history of origami, which which um, as we know origami, it's seventeenth century Japan. Yeah. Okay. But there's also origins in China, and there it, we we now think that there is a completely separate European tradition of paper folding which developed mm. on its own rather than it being one of these things that maybe came down through the Silk Road mm. Mm. which is interesting I think there's, there's still all sorts of arguments about that whether it was passed on um, through traders or whether it, it developed independently which I think is fascinating I'd like to know a bit more about that um, what, what's certainly true is that some things in Japan um, you know do, do you know what I mean by the crane it's it's a very kind of classic Japanese uh, bird. Origami birds. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that, that requires a specific type of base, which only existed in Japan. Hmm. And so, hmm. so we had our own paper folding, but we couldn't do some of the individual things that the Japanese could do until we learned how to do to, to do these kind of basic, well, well, literally the base of of the production. But we came up with our other stuff as well. Hmm. But there's also there's not only a history of paper as art, mm. paper as an art form, or paper as entertainment, or paper as magic, but there's actually a history of folding, which is brilliant. Mm. So the earliest known evidence we have for folding of anything at all is Egyptian. It's, mm. it's like four, four and a half thousand years ago, and that's um, some folded over um, parchment. Right, right. Which is quite difficult to fold, whereas yes. paper yes. you can fold more easily, yes. and you can make things. Now, one of the uh, one of the things you do, which everyone knows, and I have kids, and so it's it's this. Do you know what this uh, is? It is a my daughter, my eldest daughter, yeah, yeah. loves those. In fact, this morning she offered to show me how to make one. Oh right, okay. Tell me what it is. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it's called? It is a fortune teller. It's a fortune it? teller. It's a little thing you put your fingers in and you open. I saw this so, on Twitter last night. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> um, the Americans had them called cootie catchers. Cootie catchers. Yeah, also, cooties. Yeah, for catch. Well, cooties is actually to do with them um, kind of picking fleas. Fleas, yeah. So uh, my spaniel is down here fast oh, asleep. Stinking of fox. Full of fleas. Because he rolled in a fox poo. Oh, and I could, for dear. example, give him a poke like this um, and pick off a flea with him. But I don't Ooh. think you could actually. I think it's like a no. game. You, you kind yeah, of yeah. jab at someone yeah, like yeah. a beak. But it could also hold it upside down and you can use it to keep um, salt and pepper and things on ah, on the table. So it had, different, camping. it had different functions. Ah. Um, but you've uh, you've given it a, a historical use. Well, I've given it a bit of a historical use because they they are actually just quickly. Do you know how to make one of these? No. Oh, they're really cool. So Show me. You, you 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 get a square of paper. Right? Oh yes. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yes. And then you fold in the corners. Yep. Oh, I see. Comme then you yep. turn it over, yep. and you fold in the corners again, yep. and then you fold it in half, uh, and then you, you make sure it's all creased, it and then you can get your fingers in, right? and you can open it. So this was known as a fortune teller in some societies. Right. We don't know when this originated, but um, at least from the 1920s, possibly as early as the 1700s, hmm. um, possibly even before that, 1600s. So, hmm. so the, the evidence for folded things folded paper in Europe comes from around round about the 17th century. One of the earliest examples is in the play The Duchess of Malfi. Mm. You know anything about that, James? I do know I do know one or two things about it. Yes. Well, there is a reference to in The Duchess of Malfi to a paper prison for fleas. <laughs> so there Goodness you go. Me. Yeah, um, and it's boys, um, the, the poor Duchess is feeling a bit sad for herself and yes. uh, she's talking about... The, her, Which is quite a gruesome play. It is quite a gruesome <laughs> play. She's talking about her, the bones in her body and things like that and, and she, she refers to a paper prison prison for fleas. Anyway, so there's they, they must have made some kind of flea trap, which hmm. I think is really interesting. Excellent. Can right, I have a go? So I've made a fortune teller. Yes, I'm going to let you have a go in a minute. And fortune telling links to the history of fortune, which links to all sorts of truly wonderful things. So can you actually tell the future through one of these? And if you can tell the future through one... Basically, it's, a, it's not proper fortune telling. It's child's fortune telling because yep. it's yep. also simple. But the yep. adult version is tarot cards it's reading tea leaves it's doing all of the other extraordinary astrology astrology yep. things and um this is in a kind of like a tiny little disney version mm. of fortune telling which meant that some people didn't like it because if you claim to be able to know the future you're taking power away from god so this is an example of something folded in paper which properly winds up the church Interesting, huh? Very anyway, interesting. I've made you a Tudor fortune teller. Okay. I actually made you an unexpected Tudor fortune oh, did teller. You? Well, that's very kind of you. So you have to choose. Uh, an early Christmas You have present. to choose between kings to begin with. Um, I'm going to do this. So so um, you have to choose between Henry the... These are all Tudor kings called Henry. Henry the Second, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Sixth, or Henry the Eighth. Uh, Henry the Eighth. The others aren't Tudors. Doesn't the Tudors matter. start with so, Henry the Seventh. I know that. Henry the Eighth. It's, a, it's, it's, it's maybe a medieval fortune teller. Yes. So eight to go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You now have a choice of one of Henry VIII's wives. Uh, have we got Anne Boleyn there? Yes. Can I have Anne Boleyn, please? Yes, you can. Uh, I'm not sure. What do, I, what do I do now? I you pull... Oh, hang on. You uh, open it up and then you oh, pull... Yeah. Open it up and then you pull and you find out what happened to you. No, actually, you could find out what happened to you, but what I've done is I've in here I've put a secret, unexpected... <laughs> Choose a subject. Oh, God. All right. Are you so going to test me? I'm going to fold back uh, Anne Boleyn, and inside here is going to be an unexpected Tudor subject I want you to talk about. Okay. For a minute. Oh, okay. 
So you've gone Henry VIII, you've gone Anne Boleyn, and your Tudor subject, James Daybell, is mirrors. Oh, mirror. Oh, we love the mirror. In fact, we have done a whole uh, episode on the mirror. Hmm. Mirrors are connected to the self. You know, so looking in a mirror and sort of introspection and being aware of one's of oneself. Um, fortune telling, scrying. Yes, fortune telling. They are. They're also. I mean, I think in the past we talked about a mirror for a magistrate. So the mirror being a literary form hmm. where you basically you would write a, a sort of um, a mirror to put up before a ruler. And the mirror was basically to show them how a how a good ruler should rule, yeah. and that they should then look at themselves in against that kind of reflection and see whether they measured it up. So it's a way of giving advice, mm. and political advice. It's That's, also connected to bad luck. Is it? Tell me about that. Breaking mirrors. Seven ah. years superstition. Seven years bad luck. Interesting. Okay, um, let's go for another king. Oh, are we having uh, Henry the Seventh? Okay. Mm. Oh, we're continuing this, are we? We are going to continue this. One, two, three, four, six, seven. That's really good. Then you, oh, you get a, another choice here. You get, uh, you've got to go through another series of kings: Edward the First, Edward the Third, Henry the Seventh again, or Richard the First. Henry the Seventh, please. Again, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then you get back to Henry the Eighth's wives. Who do you like this time? Uh, Catherine Parr. Catherine Parr. Yes. Inside Catherine Parr is your another of your unexpected Tudor subjects. Are you ready? Yes. Rings. Rings. Mm. Oh, we love a Tudor ring. Um, very good. So Loyalty. Um, loyalty, betrothal, so wedding rings. Um, in fact, we did a, an episode on rings. We did. I think we may have lost that episode. Have we? In fact, that I think would we be may a terrible have lost that. I think we may have lost that episode. I think sure. people never never heard it. But but the, the courtship rings, yeah. uh, you can find lots of excellent examples of courtship rings. Um, there are rings connected to... Um, a signet ring, of course, uh, which connects to the history of the letter. Yeah. Uh, the signet ring would often have a crest, and you'd use it where pre-envelope, and we are talking about paper, pre-envelope, you would fold up your letter, and then you would use wax, and you would use your signet ring to close it, uh, which is connected with privacy um, and secrecy. Um, and also death, so memento mori rings. Mm -hmm. So you would have a, a little ring... Um, that um, would often have sometimes a lock of hair or a picture of a loved one. There's a very famous ring um, belonging to Elizabeth I uh, that, that has a, on the outside, it's sort of encrusted with jewels. And on the outside, it's got a picture of uh, a portrait of Elizabeth and then a little secret chamber. Mm -hmm. And you open it up and in it is her mother, ah. Anne Boleyn. So anyway, there we are. We've proved that. I'm going to let you keep this. Thank you. That's okay. It's my Christmas gift to you. But um, by demonstrating that paper can be a portal into all sorts of wonderful different things. We've used Excellent. it as a portal into different subjects uh, in history, because that's the kind of thing we do in our podcast. Yep. But you can use it to help you decide what ne your next drink's going to be. You can use it to decide whether to go for a walk with a dog or go for a swim whatever it might be. Excellent. So I think paper is a truly, truly wonderful thing. There Excellent. Yeah. Do you want to learn about watermarks? Yes, please. Uh, Briquet's Les Filigrans is a, is a sort of multi-volume um, encyclopedia of watermarks. Um, and we've talked about how watermarks could were, were made. But when you're making this sort of handmade paper, um, you'd have a little sort of um, wire contraption um, that a sort of design 
that would be the um, signature of the paper maker. Yeah. Um, and there are brilliant ways in which you can, um, once you've identified what the watermark is, and you can either do this by in several ways. The way I did it was by using the light box that I was talking about and actually using tracing paper to trace over it. But now you can use digital photography. And if you shine the light in a particular way, you're able to, 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 to find, you know, to take a pretty good image of it. And once you've got that image, and, once, and it's often the initials of the paper maker will be there. Once you've got that, you go to a work like Briquet's Les Filigrans, uh, and you're able to go through and have a look at spotting the actual watermark. Mm -hmm. um, and there are all kinds of sort of different marks. The, the, the most common are things like uh, pots. Um, we've also got all sorts what of sort other of things. Pot? What do you mean? So a little pot like this. I've got a so like a little sort of um, oh yes like okay. a little like a little jug yeah with, um, but things with like initials in there with as well. initials in there uh, this one is HBR um, but you also have things like unicorns or hands or gloves oh, they're very or, good um, and the, some of the most extraordinary ones are elephants or eagles do you they, mean do you mean that do you mean they're interesting because they're particularly exotic they 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 are they are really exotic and unusual and that's what that's what's um, that's what's so interesting about them what would you have on your uh... What would I have on mine? Um, probably a glove at the moment. Oh, yeah, boring, boring like a glove, like a hand with a glove. But you're able to tell quite a lot from this. And what's interesting, uh, there's a brilliant article by a scholar called Mark Bland, who's a real manuscript expert. And he did a lot of work on 17th century court manuscripts and court poetry. And what he noticed was that the paper that these presentation manuscripts were written on often had the same watermark and it was a it was the watermark of a flag yeah and this denoted fairly exclusive italian high grade paper that was being used by court poets mm -hmm. for particular documents mm. so it sort of so so it gets you to sort of thinking about grades of paper which gets us to sort of start thinking about how we read paper you know, we read paper in terms of the watermarks. We can sort of date it and authenticate it. Um, but also, you read it in terms of quality and size and what that, and what that means. And I think I've talked in the past about the way in which the layout of a letter, the way in which you used the paper, the page, was important. Yep. So if you left lots of, lots of space before your, you know, groveling signature, it signified deference. Were people happy to write over watermarks? Is yeah. it okay I mean, to... You just, to... you just wouldn't see it. Okay. You wouldn't see it at all. So oh. the watermark would be in one place. It's, it's invisible to the naked eye. The only way you would see it is you were, it would be, it would be above, it yeah. would be when you shone it to the light. Yeah. It's the only way that you can see it. So it's rather like, you know, if you, if you use basled and bond paper today, there is a, a, a sort of faint watermark in it and you'd have no trouble. You just wouldn't see it yeah. until you raise it to the sun or clever something Clever technology like being able to do that. It's very clever technology. Mm. Very clever technology. And the other, one of the other interesting things is that throughout the 16th and 17th century, um, while lots of paper was made so that you could actually write on it, you could also buy paper that needed to be treated um, before it would before it would actually accept 
uh, ink. Wow. So you imagine, imagine like a very sort of poor quality sugar paper nowadays. Yeah. Um, if you used an ink pen on it, it would, um, it would, it wouldn't soak in properly. Yeah. Or it might, it might, it either would, it either would, would sort of soak in and kind of bleed everywhere, or it would, or it would not soak in at all. Mm. So what you needed to do was you needed to, um, you needed to treat the paper with something called size, which is like the sort of resin that you put over it. Um, in order for it to actually hold it, and we've got a we've got a recipe uh, in a household manual, Vecker's uh, eighteen books of secrets of art and nature, uh, which was first which was published in sixteen sixty. A little recipe of how you how to treat paper. Take eggshells, what quality you will, taking away the little skin with inside, and when you have grossly stamped them, put them into a pan such as one as will endure the heat of the fire covering it with a little cover, then set it on some glazier's or potter's furnace or in a brick tile or lime maker's kiln. Um, leave it there until all the shells become into a very white powder, which is called egg lime. Sift it and keep it, and when you will occupy it, cast a little quantity of it upon the paper or parchment and spread the powder well upon it, rubbing it well with a hare's foot, a hare's foot, or otherwise, then taking away that which is too much, write upon it, and you shall find it be better effect than the vernix. When the writing is dry, if you will take away the said powder, yea, the common varnish, for fear lest men should wipe their hands, rub the paper or parchment with crumbs of white bread, for it will draw to itself and take away all the varnish or powder that is upon it. So it's a little, you know, recipe of how to make your own powder so that you can treat paper. It's great, isn't it? Do you yeah. know what? It, um, it really strikes me that we could do something on the recipe because we've come across I recipes know. before, oh, haven't we? We've done That would be amazing. Perfume, we've done poison, we've done... We've done... Have we done ink? We haven't done ink yet, have we? Is there a recipe for ink? Yeah. Oh. Uh, we've written a recipe for stink bait. Yes, we have. In our, yeah. in our book. Mm, we should do recipes. Yeah, definitely. We'll do, we'll okay. do, we'll do right, we're going to do hats and recipes. Yeah. Um, did you know that the um, the paper is connected to Karl Marx, the beard and dust? Wow, didn't know that. Oh, well. Do you want to explain um, how? Okay, so Das Kapital uh, is all about um, labour and, and industrial revolution and, and appalling conditions for workers. Um, one of the industries where workers were forced to face the most appalling conditions was the papermaking industry. Really? Because of the rags. And, you know, and the, the rags that were, that that were sort of torn hands. up, that, affecting their hands, but also breathing it in, and cholera wow. as well. Um, so, and it's the dust. It's yeah. the dust, the dust that gets into the lungs. Yeah. Um, and the beard, of course. You would grow a beard in order to um, have it as nature's filter so that um, you didn't have all this toxic dust going down into your lungs. So, paper. That's truly amazing. I in a roundabout way. I, yeah. Yeah. I've been thinking about this for a few days now, and um, I didn't make that link to child labour and, and no. working conditions no. and stuff. But Terrible. Um, it's now very clear. Yes. No, thank you very much. We've done a lot, haven't we? Uh, that's super. But we could carry on with paper. We haven't done blotting paper. We haven't done wrapping paper. We haven't done newspaper. Money. Haven't done money. We brown, touched on it briefly. Brown paper. Brown paper. What does that mean? Uh, or was it just like a plain, pa paper, plain paper, paper that is brown and that you wrap things like packing paper okay but consciously deliberately plain yes so you, or so, coloured paper oh yeah coloured well, we haven't done highly decorative paper no paper for portraits wallpaper colouring paper yeah 
Paper for portrait, so paper for art. Yeah, paper for art. Well, I think, here's another challenge for the new year. We should both go away and find an example of some particularly interesting type of paper, which we haven't discussed, and we'll come back with paper, a new discovery, with another podcast in the new year, which sounds amazing to me. Brilliant, brilliant. Super. I'm on it already. Brilliant. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, paper. Paper <laughs> to line pie dishes. And hot air balloons. And hot air balloons. And we and paper mache. The earliest hot air balloons were, were, were made out of linen with paper on the inside. How were dangerous they? is that? I <laughs> may. I may. You make a hot air balloon I, out of something that's I flammable. made a Guy Fawkes uh, with uh, a guy, and uh, the head was made out of paper mache. So the way, to, the way to do that is you, you blow up a balloon, tie a knot in it, yeah. and then just cover it in paper mache. And then when it hardens, you burst the balloon and there you've got a head. Paper is gifts as well. Paper, so do you know what gift. your first wedding anniversary gift should be? Paper. Paper. So I mastered the art of origami and made my wife oh, a huge bunch of origami you flowers. You love her. <laughs> I'm still quite proud brilliant, of that. Yeah. Brilliant. We've just done another episode uh, after having said goodbye. We have. No, that's terrible. all. This is all going to come. We just. It, we, this is just a tease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and paper aeroplanes. Did you know that the Wright brothers did a lot of their research with paper aeroplanes? I did not. Yeah. And Leonardo da Vinci made. You know his his crazy helicopter, the or the ornithopter, whatever it's called, ornithocopter. I don't know what it's called, but he yep. made he made it out of paper, baking parchment. Stop it, baking paper. What's that? Baking paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's stuff that doesn't it's stuff that you put um in the on a pan and then in the oven or, or, or cookie sheet or something like pa- that. Wax yes. paper. Wax paper. So that's paper that's made to keep things dry. Yes. Which is not what you expect for paper. The notebook. We need oh. to do something on the notebook. Yeah, there's too much. The notebook is connected to the list. Yeah. And paper. I tell you what, why don't you just get in touch on Twitter, please, everyone. We're on at UnexpectedPod and tell us which of those jumble of things you would like us to talk about. Can I please talk about the Declaration of Independence? Yes. That's one of the rarest forms of written on paper. And every now and again, we discover a new one. Mm. There were, you know, a hundred or so printed from the, the first ever run. I think about 15 of them we discovered now. And uh, we found one a few years ago in the National Archives. Excellent. Yeah, rare paper. Mm. That's it, we are going to stop. Bye! Bye! When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.